Welcome to The Buzz. I'm Christopher Conover. On this week's show, we examine some programs that saw big funding increases in this year's state budget. The budget for Arizona's new fiscal year was signed into law last week and went into effect on July 1st. Among its $18 billion were some notable increases for departments and projects that have been a topic of debate in the state. K-12 education, needed infrastructure upgrades, and efforts to address issues on the border and a nursing shortage. Education saw one of the most notable increases with nearly a billion dollars added to the budget, a roughly 17% increase. Dustin Williams is the Pima County School Superintendent. We started our conversation by determining if that increase is actual new money or just creative accounting. This was an unusually nice budget for education. Some people want to call it bipartisan. Others want to call it some Republican holdout that let a bipartisan uh, budget come through. And this is good money. This is new money that's going to be ongoing coming in and well needed in a lot of different areas. Is this just across the board so each of the districts will see the same amount of money or based on student population or are they grants or are they for specific programs that maybe some districts have and some districts don't in Pima County? Yeah, so for this particular budget, what you want to see is money what's put into the base amount. That's the base dollars that's going to be per pupil funding. And we saw approximately hundreds of millions, maybe around 700 million come in and out of new money that will be ongoing in the general budget. So it was really nice to see those dollars. How much say do school boards or your office have when it comes to distributing this new money? What types of programs it goes to, things like that? For the Pima County School Superintendent's Office, we're the divvier of the money. So we do a little over a billion and a half that will come through our office. The, all of that authority is directly related to the district schools, and how they want to spend that is purely up to their governing board members, uh, chief financial officer, and district coming together and figuring out what's best for which programs for which students. I would assume a great big district like TUSD gets a lot more of the money than a smaller district just based on pupils in the desks. That's positive. That's correct. Do we have a per pupil so folks listening at home know how much their kids are worth this year financially to the state? Yeah, so if you see the national average, that's somewhere normally pre-COVID around 10.5. The base somewhere around here with add-ons is approximately $6,500 per pupil. Now, the state equalization tax rate eliminated some property taxes for property owners, which is always good news. How does that work into all of this? So normally you'll have the equalization rate that comes from the taxes of homeowners. That's roughly around $300 million that will not be taxed for homeowners. That will come directly out of the general budget this time, and that will be an ongoing number for that. So what's good is homeowners right now are going to have a little bit less in taxes for education will come out of the general budget. During COVID especially, we heard a lot about the free and reduced lunch programs. Some of the districts were even putting lunches on school buses and driving them around during the early part of the pandemic. That's been a big issue. Is there extra money in the budget this year for school districts for lunch and, and breakfast programs? 
So that was kind of an all-in. Everybody got it for all of the districts and charter schools across the board. What we saw now, though, in this next federal budget, that money is coming back, but you're now going to have to go through a qualifying process. So schools need to get that paperwork in. They need to work with the Arizona Department of Education, get all their ducks in a row, and then parents are going to have to fill out some forms as well. One of the big elephants in the room, those empowerment scholarship accounts, uh, a lot of people call them school vouchers, big expansion in those that really lets parents shift about $7,000 per student to other educational expenses. That program now available to anyone who wants to take part. How does that hit a public school district? Yes, this is very interesting. Back in, I believe, 2019, it went to the voters. Uh, about 65% of all the voters said they did not want an expansion. This budget has a full universal expansion in there. That will open up statewide. It still is a small demographic. Somewhere around 12,000 students across the state enter into those educational um, scholarships or vouchers. So time's only going to tell. The two big things that we're really concerned are where's the transparency, where's the accountability, and who really is benefiting from that $7,000 voucher? When it comes to schools, everybody right now, unfortunately, talking about school safety due to the school shootings that we've had recently. Is there additional money in the budget, K-12 budget for school safety this year? You know, not that I've seen in the budget specifically. I know there were some dollars in there in the form of some bills. We'll have to look through that entire budget to see. But what we do have now is a big communication um, dialogue between sheriff's department, chief of police, and also our legislators at the Capitol right now are, are interested in being very progressive in those areas. A district like Sunnyside or Amphi, if they start losing kids, is there money in the budget to make up for that? Because, of course, some of that money helps pay for things like school buses or other programs, uh, not just the teacher for that child. So if the student leaves a public school and goes to a private school and uses that voucher or a homeschool parent decides to take the voucher, those are dollars that ultimately leave the public school. Therefore, they will have a debt. So overall, even with all this money, I know the last couple of years have been tough. How are things looking? School, new school year, not that far away. COVID aside, we know that's kind of ramping up a little bit through the summer. and We want to see that tamed down. We have one big thing we've really got to figure out, which is the aggregated expenditure limit. Schools can only spend so much dollars of the money they're already getting before a mechanism triggers for them not to spend it. And it's called the AEL or the aggregated expenditure limit. We just passed this prior to the budget. That is coming up again. That is on the horizon. So even if, if that doesn't get passed by the latest of March, all this new money is going to be hard to get to. And that's what happened this year. The legislature was looking at that in January and they waited right up until the last minute passed the law that allowed schools to go over that limit, but now you say we're going to do it again next fall, or next spring, rather. That's absolutely correct. Ultimately, we need to have this voter approved. We had a mechanism, which was in a 301 bill that we had, which is the one-cent sales tax. There was a clause in there that allowed us to spend over the amount of money that the schools would get, which they use for teacher retention, programs for students, but that has to be approved now by the legislature and that 
we are at again, and that comes up sooner than you can really realize. All right. Well, thanks for spending some time with us. Anything you need, schools.pima.gov. We're glad to be on and glad to be with the listeners. That was Dustin Williams, the Pima County School Superintendent. Another item that received a noteworthy increase in this year's budget is meant to help alleviate a shortage of nurses in Arizona by increasing the number of nurses trained here. $50 million was given to the Department of Health Services expressly for accelerated nursing programs in the state, with $6 million going to Creighton University, a Nebraska-based private Catholic school, and the rest going to the state universities. There's also another $15 million going towards a nurse education investment pilot program. To better understand the shortage and the state of nursing education in Arizona, we spoke with Connie Miller. She's the chair of general nursing and health education at the University of Arizona School of Nursing. I started by asking her if nursing programs at the U of A are full. Actually, we do have some openings because in 2019, we launched a new program in Gilbert. It's a new pathway of our BSN, our Bachelor of Science in Nursing program. That was the program that we always had way more applicants than we could accept. In 2019, we were trying to be forward thinking, knowing that there is a nursing shortage. And this was even before the pandemic. This program was designed to be an accelerated program to go year round and to graduate as many nurses as possible. That's one of the issues in the budget was was getting more money for those accelerated programs. What is it that might be keeping people out? I've I've heard stories, you know, that hospitals are paying, you know, double what they used to pay for nurses because they just need people. That's a great question. And, you know, I, I really appreciate your attention to this because it really is a healthcare concern. So when we look at what's keeping them from applying, I think there's a variety of things. I think the reason we're not getting the applicants to fill our cohorts to capacity for the Gilbert program is because it's brand new. We maybe have not marketed it enough in the Phoenix area. The other thing that might be a factor is that our Tucson program is traditionally those students that want a on-ground face-to-face program on campus. We still have no trouble filling the Tucson BSN on-ground face-to-face program that has summers off. This new program was designed to actually be available for people who might have children at home and not be able to come in easily for face-to-face classes. So that program has their courses online. You come in in person for some seminars and then to um, do your skills lab and the simulations. Those types of things are in person. When somebody hears the phrase accelerated, I know they're going to think faster, maybe shortcuts. It sounds like it's accelerated in the concept of no summers off, maybe more classes during a semester. But I'm guessing you're not shortcutting a thing. The way we look at it is, yes, you're you're just not having the summer break. You're going year round. There are some 12-month programs that offer a bachelor's. We have a bachelor's program 
um, with that integrative health focus. That one is currently 16 months, a little bit shorter if you started in the summer. We also have a master's entry to the profession of nursing. And that program is for somebody who already has a bachelor's in any other program, and then they want to be a nurse. And the wonderful thing about this program is that after you've worked for three years as a nurse, then you are eligible to be a faculty member too. And we do have a tremendous need for more faculty in the state of Arizona. When it comes to you talking to students or talking to other faculty members who talk to students, what are you hearing from them? Why are they getting into nursing? Is there a specific course of study? People want to be pediatric nurses or cardiac nurses or or something else? You know, it varies with every person. We have um, students who come in and they, they really believe they want to be a pediatric nurse. And they may not know all of what is involved in being a pediatric nurse. Once they do their pediatric rotation, they think, you know what? I think I'd rather be an OB nurse. I really like that better. Oftentimes they come in with an idea of what they want. Uh, and I often ask them that on their very first day when we bring them in and we call it our induction. They get a taste of each of these different rotations while they're in um, a nursing program. And then once they graduate, they have their choice. Are there needs for nurses just across the board, or are there certain specialty areas that have higher needs, and that's where we need to start pushing students? I think we have needs all across the board. In their final semester of all of our programs, we have what we call a preceptorship, um, where they're working one-on-one -on -one with a registered nurse for that entire rotation and usually they're 12 to 15 shifts. We do try to line them up and the hospitals will try and partner them with a preceptor in an area where they really want to work and where they have an opening. That's kind of the trend these days. If the students do well and want to get a job there, they're oftentimes offered a position to work there even before they graduate. We've heard about a nursing shortage for quite a while. Now the state is putting more money into it for an accelerated program. Does this solve the problem? Right now, what I see that um, the state legis legislature is approving is scholarships. We were hoping to get a little bit more funds to be able to actually admit more students. And one of the uh, limiting factors for us to admit more students is we know that clinical placements for the students are are so hard to get and that affects all programs in the state. Uh, there are a couple programs that are actually doing pilot studies where they're replacing 100% of the clinical for let's say obstetrics, pediatrics, or psych nursing clinicals with 100% high quality simulation. And those pilot studies are really um, showing excellent results. And so we might see more programs replace uh, some of these hard to get clinical rotations with simulation, but you need to have the simulation resources to do that. That was Connie Miller, the chair of general nursing and health education at the University of Arizona School of Nursing. 
You're listening to The Buzz. After the break, we look at new state money for a border wall and a long-asked-for interstate upgrade. Stay with us. Welcome back to The Buzz. I'm Christopher Conover. This week we're taking a look at some of the programs that received a notable increase in funding in this year's state budget. Among the new areas of funding were $300 million for a border wall. This issue was the topic in a recent episode of our podcast, Gavel to Gavel. Host and AZPM politics reporter Andrew Oxford spoke with the Arizona Daily Star's border reporter Danielle Kamara. She says that money is unlikely to pay for any fencing on the actual border. It doesn't seem like the state can really build anywhere on the actual border because almost the entirety of Arizona's southern border is federal land. Um, There's this federal easement that's 60 feet called the Roosevelt Reservation, and The state has some land that comes up against that, that is, you know, essentially on the border apart from this easement, but the state doesn't have, uh, it seems from all my reporting, any land that is actually on the border. So if the state wants to build any type of border barrier, they could build on some of the land that is state land that abuts this federal easement. So in other words, it would be 60 feet north of the border or if they could get permission from some private landowners, of which there are some on the border, they could also build just north of this federal easement on private land. You reported that during the Trump administration, there were 226 miles of wall construction planned for the Arizona-Mexico border, most of which were built. Less than 20 miles were incomplete when President Joe Biden took office and stopped construction. So what's left to fill in? That is a great question. And, you know, a lot of the legislators who were pushing for some border wall funding have talked a lot about these gaps in the border wall, of which there are many. The gaps were created where construction crews were kind of rushing to finish the border wall. In some cases, after Biden had 
won the presidency but had yet to take office. And the construction crews would come to a spot where there would need to be a segment of the wall built that had special sizing to fit in this gap. And they would just move on to the next segment. Um, So there are a lot of gaps left in the wall. And a lot of these places are places where undocumented migrants do cross. One in particular that's gotten a lot of attention is a larger gap in Yuma, where, you know, there's been a lot of news reports and a lot of video of, you know, groups of hundreds, on rare occasion, even thousands of migrants crossing through. So these are some of the spots that I've heard lawmakers and the governor and other state officials talk about a need to build some border barrier. As far as I can tell, all those gaps are on federal land. So that's not something where they could build an actual physical barrier. It sounds like the money for a barrier may not pay for a physical barrier at all. Not a wall, not a fence. What could it pay for instead? A lot of this funding could go towards what is being called a virtual wall. This could include motion sensors, infrared cameras, mobile towers, aerial drones. This is the type of surveillance technology that is already being used by Border Patrol and other law enforcement agencies on the border. So the money could go to invest in more of that type of technology. As well, the governor's office told me that they're considering building some kind of additional barriers around wastewater treatment plants and defense installations that are near the border. Um, There's the Goldwater Air Force Range and also Fort Huachuca. There have been reports of undocumented migrants crossing through those defense installations before, so they might end up building additional barrier around those installations as well. It seems like we've heard about a virtual wall for a long time, though. How would these measures be any different from what the federal government is already doing? I think that that is a great question, and I think that that question is yet to be answered. As far as I can tell, I don't think that any state officials have gotten far enough in the plan of what that money will be spent on to be able to answer that question. What questions did you hear from, whether it's Democratic lawmakers or local officials, about what effect any of this funding will have? Some of the questions that I've had, and I I wrote about this previously, was, you know, some of the funding that's been allotted for local sheriffs and local prosecutors. That funding in the past has gone to um, sheriffs and prosecutors in Republican-run counties and not in Democratic-run counties. And I've even spoken to some of the sheriffs in the Democratic-run counties that are on the border, and they have said that they have no need for such funding. So, you know, I think one of the one of the questions that comes up a lot is how much of this is necessary and how much of this is political. And I think that that's something that, you know, people like myself and other people who follow this money will be digging into more in the coming months. That was the Arizona Daily Star's border reporter Danielle Kamara and AZPM politics reporter Andrew Oxford from a recent episode of our podcast, Gavel to Gavel.
Anyone who's made the drive from Tucson to Phoenix in recent years has learned to expect a slowdown and heavy traffic on a stretch of Interstate 10 starting north of Casa Grande. The state set aside $400 million to add an extra lane to I-10 in each direction. To learn more about the project, we spoke with Garen Goff with the Arizona Department of Transportation. He explained why that section is still two lanes. Well, this 26-mile section goes through the Gila River Indian community, and uh, ADOT has been working with the Maricopa Association of Governments to get the needed permission to begin the upcoming widening project. So this has been talked about for years, and those of us who drive up and down I-10 have certainly talked about it for years also amongst our passengers. Uh, so what what's taken so long on it? Really, that's something that the Maricopa Association of Governments has been working on. Uh, they could speak to it um, more than, than we could directly at ADOT, but we know that we have uh, made progress so that this project will be on track uh, beginning in 2023. So come 2023, what's this project, at least at the beginning, look like? Are we going to add lanes you know, in between um, the northbound and southbound, or what is called the eastbound and westbound, or we're going to add them on the outside? Where do the lanes get added? Well, the first project will be at the Gila River bridges. We will be reconstructing uh, those structures with new bridges that are three lanes in each direction. Uh, that's the first project that will be kicking off. And then we'll be starting up at the northern end toward Phoenix. And we're going to have a project that will uh, widen the highway to three lanes in each direction, plus an HOV lane from Loop 202 down to Riggs Road. That should really help in that area where uh, congestion really seems to build up heading into Phoenix. Does this project coming online affect anything else? We've heard talk, of course, about passenger rail between Tucson and Phoenix, and there's the I-11 corridor. Does this project coming online affect any of that, or are those all independent? Those projects are all independent. This uh, I-10 project will be happening regardless of what may or may not be happening with other highway or uh, transportation projects in the state. Road widening, especially interstate widening, is not cheap. There's $400 million for this in the state budget. Does that cover it, or do we need to go out and get other money from, for example, from the federal government, or do the counties need to kick in on this? The $400 million from the state budget is just part of the puzzle here. Uh, we're also applying for a $300 million federal grant. We're expecting to hear the status of that later this year. There's also been $290 million previously budgeted. So we're looking at a roughly $900 million project. Like we said, road expansion is not cheap. Right. This is 26 miles. It includes bridges at the Gila River. And also we'll be looking at upgrading the various interchanges, uh, certainly increasing the capacity on some of those. So uh, especially for people who are heading back and forth from Phoenix to Maricopa, will have easier access to and from I-10. So for those of us who drive I-10 a lot, uh, I'm sure there are listeners who are saying, great, it'll be widened by Tuesday. Um, what's the realistic timetable on this? So the realistic timetables will begin 
with the Gila River bridges in 2023. The target date for full completion of the 26-mile project is sometime in 2026. When it comes to road expansion, 2023 is soon. Does that mean we have things like the environmental studies and all the other things that need to be done already completed? Yeah, we're still looking to button up the environmental clearances, uh, but we are expecting to have that wrapped up so we can begin in 2023. That was Garen Goff, a spokesperson for the Arizona Department of Transportation. And that's the buzz for this week. Join us next week as we preview our podcast, Tapped, which will examine water issues in the Southwest. You can find all our episodes online at azpm.org and subscribe to our show wherever you get your podcast. Just search for The Buzz Arizona. We're also on the NPR One app. Zach Ziegler is our producer, Jim Blackwood is our production engineer, and our music is by Enter the Haggis. I'm Christopher Conover. Thanks for listening. Arizona Public Media's original programming is made possible in part by the Community Service Grant from the Corporation for Public Broadcasting.